0: Hey, everybody, before we get started today, we have some vital news for Apple Podcast listeners. In case you haven't heard, Apple recently did another update. This update kicked a lot of our followers off the show and paused notifications for new episodes. It even happened to some of our own team members, so you definitely want to check out your settings. To see if this happened to you, open your podcast app, search for the 200% Life, and select the show page. In the top right corner, you may see either a follow button or a pause symbol. Tap either one of those to make sure you are following the show and getting new downloads. This really helps you by making sure new episodes show up in your feed so you never miss an episode. It also makes sure new episodes are downloaded to your phone so you can listen to them when you're not connected to Wi-Fi. It's also really helpful to us. When you follow the show, the algorithm helps us spread the 200% life philosophy to new listeners. This is true for other platforms as well. So while you're at it, whether you listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or another favorite platform, please be sure to hit the follow, subscribe, or like button. This helps us reach new listeners and teach them how to use business as a conduit for their personal growth. And as always, we'd love to hear any questions you'd like us to cover on the show. Maybe it's a situation you're struggling with personally, or a topic you think would be helpful to a friend. You can drop your questions in the Q and A box in the show notes on Spotify. Or you can email us at hello at adamhergenrother.com. And don't forget to turn on your notifications to be alerted when we cover them. Hey everybody, I'm Adam Hergenrother and this is Business Meets Spirituality. We believe in personal growth through business success. Today I'm joined by Monique Hellstrom, which is going to be an action-packed listening show for you guys today. A little bit about Monique before we jump in. After 12 years of building humans in organizations in the corporate world, in small businesses alike, plus almost a decade as the chief of Simon Sinek, New York Times bestselling author and Ted celebrity, Monique has had unparalleled experiences and gained unique perspectives from thought leaders, executives, middle managers, educators, social activists, and military, as well as the supportive workforce that this world depends on. These encounters have equipped her with the tools necessary to decipher and disentangle common issues plaguing humans and businesses around the globe. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, super excited to have this conversation. I'd love to start by asking you what your first childhood memory is.
1: My first childhood memory um, probably I mean I'm sure there were, lots when I was really little but I took karate starting uh when I was very 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 young I was one of those uh if, if there was YouTube or any social media out by then I'm sure I would have been in some sort of a funny video because I was this wee little thing and this big uh, karate gi and I I just remember loving every second of it loving the structure loving the health version you know the health benefits of it um talking to a 100 people most of whom could have been my fathers and mothers and uh it was just a really wonderful experience and i it's burned in my brain
0: did you what age was that approximately i'm just curious i think
1: i started when i was five or six
0: yeah did you did you move up the rankings and belts at all or did you continue that
1: i did i am a black belt in taekwondo that's awesome
0: (laughs) really cool yeah Do do you still practice today
1: I well, I do more kickboxing today than I did uh, than I'm doing strict karate. But I I'm sure I'll get back to it at some point.
0: Yeah. Did you stay with karate for most of your childhood and then switch to kickboxing when you got older? When did that transition occur?
1: Yeah, I got my black belt around. 15 I want to say and it was right at the time where your friends become very important to you and everything else doesn't seem to be as important and so unfortunately I did what most teenagers do and I gave up something that I loved in order to be cool. Uh, I have to raise my hand and admit that that was me (laughs) and so uh, I stopped for a while. I stopped while I was in college but shortly thereafter I picked everything back up and kept on kept on trucking.
0: Isn't high school such a trip? I think about those, those years that it was just like, it's you're, everyone's so odd, so weird, trying mm-hmm. to figure it all out. It's just such a, it's such a, I always think about like coming back here again. I'm like, I don't know if I want to do high school again. If I Never.
1: There I is guess. not enough money. I hear those things all the time. You know, yeah. if I gave you a million dollars, would you go back yeah. to high school? My answer is a hard no.
0: Hard yeah. no. <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, two splinters off this conversation a little bit. One is, what what was kind of profound in your high school years that kind of was like wow this is just really challenging or did you have a significant moment um and the other kind of more fragmented question would be is um what do do you do for physical activity now you've obviously kept karate you do kickboxing kind of what does that look like so i'll let you pick which direction you want to go first
1: um well we'll we'll round out the high school years i guess and then i'll 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 segue into my um physical activity. Let me see. Uh, I wish I could say that there was a lot of pleasant moments in high school. High school was a hard time for me. I was kind of figuring out who I was and and as we all do, we're all looking for our place in life and looking where I belong. And I was always extremely detail oriented. I was always extremely extroverted. I had very much the same personality as I do today. And that was hard uh for for young kids to I, I had a lot of energy. I was very um influential in some of my strength sets and and it was intimidating. It was hard for a lot of people to take. So I think uh, I think one thing that I'm that I learned really well is is just who I was and and the skill set that I did have and how I could use that um, mostly for work at that at that period of time.
0: Well, there's so many and, people um, that are trying to figure out who they are, and we'll talk about that as adults too. But how did you? And I know that you've had that kind of more awakening as an adult. But how you mentioned it in high school? How did you start figuring out who you were? Um, in high school, and what kind of was there a was there a model you used? Was there a was there a playbook, or was it more of just an intuitive knowing?
1: It was uh, a series of personality tests that I started taking, and I talk about personality tests a lot. It was in my very first job where they had us all take Myers breaks. Yeah, and yeah. I remember reading uh, the answers and under and hearing what the the presenter had to say to me, and really being just. Um, shocked and surprised and um, exhilarated by the fact that it it described me so well. And so it really became an obsession almost for me. I started looking into my star sign. I started looking into what my name meant. I started taking lots of personality tests and my love languages and all sorts of things. And I really found that to be a great way to know what tools I had in my toolbox and then how I could use them.
0: Yeah, I love that. When did you really start, as you started founding those tools, you started using it, when did you really apply that in the kind of external world? Was it, was that in high school? Was that more in college or is that more in your profession? And when did you start really fine tuning that? And what does that look like today?
1: It was more in my profession. My very first job out of While I was in college, as a matter of fact, I worked full time while I was in school full time as well. And I was an event planner. And it was an interesting time to be a student in college, plus being a a business professional. I wasn't even 21 yet. I think I was 19 when I started this job. And, you know, being an event planner, you have to be detail oriented, you have to be logistical focused, you have to um, have some strategy to you. And it really brought all that into place when I heard my mind. There was Briggs and realized, oh, well, that's why I love my checklists and, and my, uh, all the, the, my calendar and all the things. I mean, this was way back in the day before yeah. technology really yeah, took exactly. off, so uh, we all had paper, everything, yeah. and um, it really helped me know what made me happy and know where my skill set laid and what I needed to do in order to bring that out. And where I needed to focus my attention. Um, I knew shortly thereafter, I went from event planning into sales, uh, mostly because I wanted to see if I could do it. I had been an event planner for almost seven years and I just needed a change. I wanted to change. And I went into sales and I could tell almost immediately it was not where my strengths at lie. Laid. And it, it, it felt extremely different for me. So I was I'm um, happy to go back into a, a space where logistics were, were what I needed to do in order to be successful.
0: How did you contemplate or think through, you kind of mentioned that you wanted to do it to see if you could do sales. Was that like a, uh, hey, a couple days sudden thing, I'm going to get out of event planning. Was that a slow burn kind of working its way over a couple of years saying, I want to get out of event planning. I think a lot of people are on the edge, of, particularly right now in our time in history of making career moves and changes. Um, and that's something that can be scary. Or that's something that can't be like, walk me through that process and that first one, um, you know, kind of moving from event planner into sales and then from sales into what your next adventure was. Sure.
1: Uh, I don't think it was as calculated as it has been in recent years when I wanted to go into sales. I just... I knew it was time for me to try something new. I love new adventures and learning new things. And I, I had done everything that I could do within that organization. I got as high as I could possibly go. And I knew I was young. I knew I had some talent. So I knew I, I just needed to go somewhere else. And um, I had been working with a vendor for quite some time. It was the vendor that hired me. And so I guess my, my biggest recommendation, I would say, is make sure that you're going to a place where you value their values, where you're aligned on values, where you believe what they believe. Um, Skills can always be taught, Uh, especially as an administrative professional, when you're working for a human, not a company, make sure that your values fit. Uh, So that's probably my biggest recommendation.
0: Would you say that it's more like heart-minded or uh, like-minded, meaning that it's heart kind of meaning more values, I guess, to that extent versus not everyone. I think some people trying to grow organizations want everyone to think the same way and almost do the same thing versus more like when you have a very diverse group, you can still have an underlying current that pulls everyone together, which is more of that. You call it a heart value, call it values, whatever that looks like. Could you walk us through maybe like the difference between um, having everyone think like you do or or, or how does everyone tie that value back to making sure that those values are the same, even though they may show up um, physically different, right? The people mm-hmm. may look different. They may have different ideologies, different, uh, different principles, or they may, some people may like the hike, some people may not like animals, some people don't, right? But at the same time, there's, a, there's an undercurrent that, that everyone is sharing in the organization.
1: Yeah 100% this is hard minded. I believe that diversity within an organization both biologically um, ideogenically you know all sociogenically all of these different aspects I 100% believe that collaboration and innovation happen because of diversity. We have to have people that think differently that have different strength sets that um, that see the world in a different way and tackle problems from a different avenue. That is where innovation and collaboration come from. Uh, if we have a whole group of people that think alike, we're not going to get very far. Uh, and I do know of many CEOs who do hire and they want people to fit in and they want people to be like them and their organizations can only get so far that that explosion of innovation never really happens because you're not getting diverse um, ideas or or uh, ways to carry the, the mission forward. So 100%, I think that this is heart focused, ensuring that your values and whatever they may be of honesty or integrity or um, humanity, whatever they might be, making sure that those values are, are aligned. Um, and other than that, I think we can all be weird and different and strange and goofy, and we can all be exactly who we were all meant to be.
0: My kids all the time, I have three under 10 and they're always like, dad, you're just so weird. I'm like, and I love it. And I'm I like, love, it. <laughs> love it. I wake up giggling. Cause I'm so weird. Like it's just the best thing ever. Right. It's great. It's good to be weird.
1: Weirdness is, is unique and, and interesting. And like I
0: said, innovative. So it's a funny story. So my, my son comes to me like two, three weeks ago and he's like, dad, I'm going to be really weird. I'm like, what are you going to do? He's like, shows me this picture. He's like, I'm getting this haircut. and It sounds like a lizard." On his hair, and he's doing it today. Actually, at, at, he's like, "Dude, I'm gonna Facetime you as soon as I'm done, Dad. Like, it's gonna be really weird. It's gonna be. I'm like, that's awesome, dude. Like, it's just. so He's got like this literally this haircut that's, that looks like a lizard on top of his and his head, and he's really excited for it. So it's just, it's so funny.
1: Good for him. Good for him for having the guts to do
0: it. I know, I know. What would you share with somebody who's maybe going? You know what? Maybe I've assembled a team that's more. Uh, I wanted them to fit in or be like me and I'm recognizing now that that's probably not the best for the organization in itself. What's a, what's a, like a you know, a one or two or three items that people could go and say, okay, I'm going to start diversifying my organization.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so first always need to take a pulse of where you're at. Uh, First and foremost, look around, see who is fitting in, quote unquote, with with the organization, who does represent those values, who who does really believe what they believe. And uh, first, start with the baseline, knowing where you are, knowing what you need to change, really identifying where the holes are. Uh, If you have a large organization of a whole bunch of strategists who love ideas and love thinking about things and love analyzing data. Uh, th- that's going to eventually cause a problem for you. You're going to need someone who's got other skill sets. So, again, just identifying where you are at, what you have, and then identifying what you're lacking, uh, wh- where you need to go. Uh, I'm going to sound like a broken record, and I'll probably say it again during this call, but personality tests are really. It's an easy way to figure out what you have and where you need to go. Uh, that could be Myers Briggs, that my favorite is Clifton Strengths Finders, and I talk about that a lot. It could be 16 personalities, it could be disk, whatever it might be, identifying where what skill set your people have and then where the holes are, knowing how you can hire from there. Um, at, at a minimum, if if that's too much, just asking your team, what are we missing? What do you need? What do you have and what do you need? And, and really uh, talking with your people and having them give you the information. They they see the world very differently than the leader of an organization does. They have a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so asking your team, and then maybe even asking people that are associated with your organization, your boards of directors, your friends of your mission, uh, you know say to them, where do you think we're lacking? What do you think we need to grow and develop? Um, and of course, all of this comes wrapped in a wrapping paper that you need to be okay with having honest feedback as well. So throw that in there at the very end.
0: <laughs> Love that. Well, that's the, that's the you know, any leader, that's whether you're leading a division or a company or your family, you need to be looking for the best solution, not looking to be right, which means that you've got to be really open to the feedback. I always, my always argument to this is that, so let's just say that, you know, you, you go in there and you're wrong. Isn't that the whole point of you going in and having a meeting though, is so that it just actually protected you and the organization from making the wrong decision. And if you go in there and you open the feedback and you end up being right, you just now got the support of everybody or the majority of the support that everyone gets behind because you're willing to have that conversation. So either way, the the outcome dramatically outweighs the the negative of this, which is just a personal hit to that little, little dude or dude s that's inside your head that likes to talk to you, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a tough thing these days where getting feedback, hearing some hard information is, um, seen as wrong is seen as hurtful, uh, hard conversations and, and, and conflict are being seen as the same thing as, as uh, confrontation is being seen as me just giving you some information. And I really wish that we could separate those and understand that you can give someone feedback. You can have a hard conversation. You can tell someone that they're lacking in an area and it does not have to be mean or nasty or rude or, uh, com- confronting. Yeah. Um, So I'm, I'm 100%
0: with you that it's,
1: it's an important thing for leaders to be able to hear things like this.
0: I think it really, and people ask, well, then how do I start doing that? I think it's the intent behind the conversation. So if you go in there being like, I'm right, I'm going to tell you how cool I am, how awesome I am. And you're going to take this feedback and go do what I tell you. I think it really starts with whoever is delivering that feedback, which is. I'm doing this to contribute. I'm doing this. I mean, an apple tree doesn't drop apples. So it could be like you three deer over here. You guys can have some, but you guys can't over here. Right? Like, no, it's just, it's just contributing. And it's not seen as, as withholding from one person to the next. So it really starts with that leader to really make sure that they are with pure intent, as pure as they can be and clear. What does a conscious business mean to you, Monique?
1: A conscious business. That means to me, uh, a few things. It means to me that the company and the organization itself is self-aware, that they understand who they are. They understand their values, their mission, their goals, their why, if you will. They they understand their people. They know where they're going in, in, and they're um, very much focused on that direction and are willing to bend and flex and, and go with the current in order to get to that destination. Uh, someone who or an organization that understands they are not the only organization in the entire world and that we all have to live and work and be with each other. And so a conscious organization to me is someone who understands uh, the world around them as well and how they can contribute to it positively. And I would also say that it's someone who, uh, that it's an organization who um, is okay with change, is okay with uh, understanding, taking the pulse of the world at the moment and understanding that there's gonna be times where they have to bend and flex in order to to get to that future vision that they're wanting.
0: Yeah. What do you what do you see as some traits as individuals who are leading or are part of a conscious organization?
1: Uh I think you know, exactly as you said, they they know that they are not always going to be right. They are humble. They are constantly learning. They never see themselves as an expert in anything. Uh, they're constantly open and and um, interested in hearing other people's ideas, interested in, in knowing how they can improve. Yeah. Um, Trust. I think uh, a conscious person is someone who automatically trusts and does believe in the best of everyone and really does believe and, you know, we, we see what we look for. And these days, we all are seeing a lot of bad and seeing a lot of hurt and, and fear and if you just changed your mindset and, and saw in your brain and saw when you went out into the world the, the goodness that is out there and the good people that are out there that to me uh, signifies a conscious person.
0: How does a how does a leader or people that are in charge of the money, Sometimes they can get wrapped up and it's like, well, I don't want to make too much money. I want to make money, but I want to be conscious, but I want to make sure that we have a profitable business. I know that is a discussion for people that aren't necessarily mercenaries. There's no right or wrong, but right. But it's just, you know, we, we kind of look at it as like people either tip the scales with culture or money, one, two, or the other. How does, how does somebody rationalize going out there and having a profitable business and having to focus on profitability, whether that's, that's layoffs or repositioning of people or charging certain things for products, even though you're making mm-hmm. it and also wrapping that up in a conscious business. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Um, a, a few, I think uh, there's nothing wrong to me with a profitable business. There's nothing wrong with me making some money. Trust me. That's, that's kind of a goal that we all have. Let's be yeah. honest. Um, I wish I could, buy things and pay my mortgage with sunshine and rainbows. But unfortunately we all have to use money in order to do that. Uh, so I don't, I don't necessarily mind a profitable company. What I do is if they stood on the heads of a bunch of the people in order to get there, uh, if they kicked the folks at the bottom in order to step on them to, to get to where they want to go, that's what I disagree with. Um, and, and, um, being, uh, Secular with their money as well is also something that I disagree with keeping all their profit within, not spending it on their people, not giving back to the community, not helping their people take some Time off so that they can go volunteer or vote or uh, whatever it might be. I know lots of companies that are very profitable that have gone through layoffs, that have gone through hard times, that have gone through struggles, and yet their people stay because they are, are aligned with their values, because they know that their leader believes what they believe, and um, they are they feel uh, that they belong and they feel taken care of. Do
0: you think that the, the the money and the financials have to make sense for an individual and for a business? But I think most people are tipping the scales now with going into an organization that uh, maybe less money or less, uh, less financial potential, if you will, they're not trying to maximize that as much as they're trying to maximize aligning with an organization that has a specific meaning or purpose. Are you yeah. seeing that? Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Uh, you know, and I'm I'm seeing a lot in our younger generation, you know, millennials get a pretty bad rap for a lot of things. Uh, but the one thing that I not the one thing, one of the things that I appreciate about that younger version is is that hustle culture isn't as important as it used to be. And I'm I'm happy about that. I'm happy that they are going into organizations and saying, I don't care how much you pay me. If you treat me like, you know what, I'm not staying. I, I don't care. Uh, I wanna be in an organization where I have some freedom, where I have some flexibility, where my ideas are heard. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited for that. I'm excited uh, for them to start taking over some companies and, and bringing that back to life. The old mentalities of the eighties where it was just like hustle culture and work and blah, blah, blah. I'm glad that's ending
0: you know what's funny i find um and, and I'm curious to see if you agree or disagree with this um i had a conversation with somebody who who ran who runs a company is like saying the same thing They're like this younger generation doesn't want to work they don't want to do anything they have this expectation you know the kind of labeling that they have in there and yeah. i kind of fall right on that line between what that is yeah. um and uh you me actually building organizations kind of gives me that credibility to have that conversation to a certain extent, though. That's not why I did it. Um, but they said, well, you've worked hard to do it. And like, how come everyone is? And I said, well, hold on. I said, we've got over 800 people in our organizations. And the reality is, is I have a lot of young people who work more th- way more than I do, who work 80 hours a week. And I said, what I've really found is it's, they actually want to do something that they feel like they're contributing to society, yet and at the same time being financially rewarded for their activities they're doing. But it's not about they're not willing to work. They don't want to work for your old structure is right. what it really is. If they don't want right. to work just to think like they're a cog in the wheel, they want to work to understand the meaning behind what they're doing, whether that's selling widgets or, or selling books or selling real estate or building companies or, or building technology. It's irrelevant. They just want to know what they're doing is actually having an impact, something larger than themselves.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I heard uh, I was listening to the radio yesterday and, and somebody actually said on there and it kind of struck me. They said, you know, there's a lot of noise out there about people who just who who don't want to work. And what that means is it's not that they don't want to work. It's that they don't want to work for you. Exactly. And I was like, whoa, I mean, that was that was one of those punch you in the face statements. But it's completely true. And, you know, like you said, there there's there's a little bit of everyone. I know I know plenty of older people who don't want to work as well.
0: Exactly. Right. Exactly. I one of the questions I love to ask people is like, well, would you work for you? Right. And it's just like it's kind of like that that radio question. Spark that interest, right? It's just like, I was like, hey, seriously, you don't have to answer to me. This isn't, I got to care less about the answer, is but you ask the same question is, is what every day when you show up to work, if you're leading a company, why wouldn't you want to be the reason why Monique wants to show up for work or be the reason if everyone brings that into it? Doesn't mean there's not challenges. It doesn't mean that people don't get hired or fired. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means that while you're doing it, you're able to contribute to other people and be the reason why somebody else wants to show up for work. And so they asked you the question is, is, Do you really, would you come work for you? And if people are really honest, a lot of times they go, you know, I wouldn't, Adam. And then, but that's where they're actually making progress, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to, go off on a little bit of a tangent oh, yeah. this is Me why too. leadership is and leadership training is sure. really important we're our leaders are never taught how to be leaders they're usually just yeah. really good at their job and then all of a sudden they get promoted and somebody says okay you're not responsible for the things to do the things now you're responsible for the humans that are now doing the things but nobody trains us on how to do that it is a Completely different skill set than what you were doing before, and so these budding leaders go into a space where they they've never been trained. They don't know how to take care of people. Maybe their communication is lacking, and then all of a sudden their their companies are failing, and they're scratching their heads, going, "I don't understand why." So if we had more training, if we um, promoted people who are actually good at leadership skills rather than just good at being whatever an accountant, uh, I think that would, that would dramatically change our, our company's results.
0: Yeah. It's that individual contributor path and the leadership path. I think people think that in order to get ahead, they need to be in leadership, but leadership is just as hard. It's just a different side of a coin, right? I was, of uh, it's, uh, I was visiting with, with, uh, I was down with Michael Singer on Sunday. And, uh, one of the things he told me, he's like, you know, Adam, he's like, when I was building this and they wanted to build a board of directors, I had to go look up what a board of directors was. Right? Yeah. Luckily he was conscious enough to be able to interact with his business, but he was like, he's like, I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know what going public really meant. Like, he's like, it was just hilarious to hear him talk about his, his organization. I think that goes back to that formal training of somebody who was really good at computer programming, ended up with a big business. And we see this, and you see this in almost every line of industry. It's like, it's like, they build this thing, they get employees and all of a sudden they wake up and they go, I don't really even like what I'm doing here anymore. And that's where that consolidation piece comes in there. What does, um, switching gears a little bit, what does uh, what does spirituality mean to you? What does spirituality
1: mean to me? Um, a connection to something bigger than yourself. A connection to something uh, more able and capable than yourself. We are not only connected to each other; we're connected to something bigger. There's You know, I I wouldn't consider myself a religious person. I would consider myself a spiritual person. And I definitely believe that there is a reason we are all here and there is something that we're supposed to be doing or else we wouldn't be here. Uh, So yeah, a connection, a connection to something larger than yourself.
0: Do you have a particular practice that grounds you in spirituality or what does your daily routine look like that, that brings that proactiveness into your life?
1: Mhm. Uh so I first at three in the morning as soon as I wake up I take my dog for a very long 30 minute walk and it's usually 6 or 6:30 in the morning sometimes even earlier I am a pretty early bird and there's no noise I walk in this park across the street all I hear is birds I hear birds I hear the rustling of the leaves I hear the haystacks moving um I hear the ducks and that centers me for my day. Getting the fresh air, having that wind on my face, hearing nature, no phone, no nothing. It's just me and my dog, and I, I love that, and it it really centers me for the day. Um, I do a lot of yoga and I love yoga. Yoga to me is a very spiritual practice, Um, depending on what type of yoga you're doing. My hot power, core power yoga is a little different than my like yin practice, but uh, I do do quite a bit of that. Um, I have, I meditate and I, I try to do it as often as I possibly can. You know, I go through periods where it's more of a struggle than not, but it's, it's, you know, if I can take five minutes and, and do that. Um, I also make it an unbelievable point. I set my alarm for uh, the top of the hour of every hour at whatever, maybe the 57s. And then I go outside for three minutes and I do it almost every single hour. And whether or not there's sunshine, I have the air on my face and I hear, I hear the sounds of the outside. doesn't matter if it's cold or hot or whatever it is outside, but I go outside for about two to three minutes every single hour.
0: Yeah. Do you have a, a, a bookend to your day, a particular way, or is it more just a wind down and, and kind of do it? You sounds like you have a good, you have a good start. Um, I love that getting out in nature, not listening to things too. That's a really powerful place to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't necessarily end my day in one particular way, but that's that's a good idea. I probably should have another bookend. I do walk my dog twice a day, so I do another walk with her at about 2.30 or 3 o'clock, uh, but it's way more busy and I see way more people when I do that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that. Are you more of a solitude kind of be by yourself nature, or are you more extroverted and wanting being around energy, or a little little bit of both?
1: Uh, a little bit of both. In my when I'm hiking or walking or in nature, I actually do like to be by myself. Uh, I do like to just have me and my dog, and and connect with nature. Out in the regular world, I'm a super extrovert, and I love being around people, and I love that. We're able to do so again. Uh, a company that I work with very closely had their annual kickoff on Friday, and so there were seventy of us in the room together. And I was, I was almost moved to tears at one point. I was so happy to be around other people. I was just uh, for for extreme extroverts like me, the last two years have been very difficult.
0: Yeah, I love it. You talk a lot about human doing versus human being, um, and, and we believe a lot, especially on this podcast, that you're you know a human. You, know, you you have this temporary physical experience, which you're a human being kind of in this animal body, if you will. Can you talk us through a little bit about the human being versus human doing? Sure. Um,
1: when you're a human doing, I, I feel like you have, you feel like you earn respect by doing things rather than who you are being. You must do in order to gain approval or acceptance or love. Uh, and that's how we are. That's how we get the good feelings is by doing the things rather than, than who we're being. We feel um, the human doings feel like we have to uh, earn the right to be something that the doing comes first. Being to uh, the human being to me is presence. It is um, self-awareness. Again, it is accountability. It is, Uh, knowing how to communicate honestly, openly, um, all those sorts of things, really sitting in yourself, sitting in your body and having all the feels, having all the emotions and knowing that that is okay if that affects your entire life, that we are human beings and our emotions are going to affect us. They are going to have a place in our world. And so I think uh, I wouldn't say that I wouldn't agree that only being a human being as well is, is the way to go. I think there needs to be a balance. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's not about sitting in a cave and meditating for 17 hours and escaping right. people. Right. Um, it's it's about how do you bring your being into the world, which is the, hard, it's easy to actually go live in the woods. Like nobody bothers you. You know, not, you know there'll be a few things that show up, but they can go sit in a saga and meditation all day. It's, that's wonderful. Like now go bring that out into the world. Right. And that's yeah. why. Business is this opportunity to grow personally. It's just because it's a conduit for personal growth. Because every day there's going to be things that happen that your mind doesn't want to happen. There's going to be things that happen that you don't want to happen. There's going to be struggles and challenges. And all of that gives you an opportunity to let go of that personal self and then act and deal with life. Right. It's yeah. that kind of interaction. you ever heard before where the a lot of um Uh, In the Eastern philosophy, they talk about the actual cross as being the intersection between human being and human doing. The human being actually is the vertical line that drives itself in the stability into the ground. And the doing represents what you can actually do in life to kind of your experience to make the human being experience full is that doing. And it's what you said, that balance, that intersection between where the cross meets is actually the perfect place, the yin, the yang, the Tao, right? That middle way where your first order creation is being, the second order creation is what you do while you're here. And it's that spot on the cross.
1: Love that. I love that. I've never heard that. And I do love that. And I think it fluxes in your life at some point, you know, you may not have that perfect cross where it's equal, equal boxes on each side. Sometimes you do need to pump up your human doing. If you just got a new job, if you're starting a new business, if you're taking on a new endeavor, if you're learning a new skill set, it is going to wax and wane a little bit, but it's, it's keeping in mind that both are important.
0: What do you think? Thank you for that. I love, I love your insights. This is just more of a question for you. There's no, um, needed res- or just curious to get your response. in there's a lot of times people have this idea and, and people ask me, and I'm sure they ask you, which is like, how does somebody go find their passion? And I have a little bit of a different take on that. And I go, that's wonderful. You should go find your passion, but let me ask you a different question. Why don't you have passion for everything? Yeah. Why, why would you limit your passion to one particular thing? And then you're fighting to maintain that. And if you don't get it, you suffer. Why wouldn't it be open so that everything you wake up in the morning and you have passion doing that you wake up, you shower, you have passion doing that you working, you have passion doing that. Like, I think we're so caught up in trying to look for something that's going to turn our passion on versus being passionate as a human being. Right. And then bringing the human being passionate into the doing world. Isn't that just, I'm just curious to get your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I you know what what took me there was the conversation we just had about human being and human doing. I think passion people confuse passion for the doing side of it. I want to have passion for a thing, for a, a something I'm going to do. I want to be passionate about tennis or about my job or about this or that where I believe passion centers in who you're being. You know, I want to be passionately uh, harmonious. I want to um, fight passionately to have integrity and honesty in the world. Those are things that I can I can put my uh, put my chops behind. Uh, I think it's more about who the human being, as far as passion, uh, should be directed towards.
0: Then a follow-up question to that is then people go, well, then how do I make decisions? If I'm passionate about everything, then where do I spend my time? How do I make decisions for doing that? What would your response be to that?
1: You know, I do think it is important to find your, uh, for lack of a better word, your why. Uh, I do have some, some history knowing about the why. Uh, I do think it's important to find your passion, find your why, figure out what your purpose is and uh, similarly figure out what your values are. There's a lot of different ways to go about that. There's a number of online platforms, obviously Simon Sinek being uh, the leader in this, in this space. And I do think it's important so that you can make decisions based off of your passions, your purpose, and your values. Um, I oftentimes whenever I need to make a large decision, I refer back to a sticky note that I have on my computer, which lists out my values, which lists out my personality, my strengths, set. I've got my strengths finders and a little sticky note right here that I look at often um, so that I am making sure that I'm not making a rash decision uh, before because I feel pressured or because there's fear or because there's anger or jealousy or some other uh, thing driving it. I make sure that the decisions that I'm making are 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 uh, representative of who I want to be in the world.
0: Yeah. I love that. Do you think that, um, do you think your why is related to your nature or are they separate or are they the same? What do you mean your nature? Like, like your nature, like the nature, like, you know, every, everybody has a different nature, right. A different personality to them, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like every animal out in the wild, like, you know, Hallie and I were having this conversation this morning, whereas like, there's some animals that eat scavengers. They eat everything. There's some animals that only eat meat. There's some animals that only eat plants. There's some people. There's leopards that only come out in their solitude and they're at night. There's other yeah. animals that are packs. Like so, everyone has this different nature, and it's not. It's not. I don't think it's. It, it's um it hasn't leaked in. I mean, it, it's the same part of the human experience, right? Is everyone has a little bit different nature? Would you mm-hmm. equate somebody's why to their nature as well?
1: Uh, personally, this is just my opinion. I probably wouldn't. I do think there's a slight hierarchy and I do think that things fit together like Russian dolls. I think your purpose is your why that's the fire that that burns inside of you that drives you to, to do everything that you do. That is Um, why you live your life and why you experience your life. I think that's wrapped in your values and who you want to be out in the world. And then I think that what fits inside of that is that nature, is that personality, is your, your temperament and all of those sorts of behavioral tendencies and traits come into play, and again, I do think they fit together like Russian dolls, you know, the the actions and behaviors of someone who's following their purpose is aligned with their values, and your behaviors and your personality are all aligned with your values as well and aligned with your purpose. So um, I think they all kind of go together, but I would put nature more with personality and traits and tendencies,
0: yeah, Very well said, thank you. What do you, th- are you afraid of death?
1: interesting question. Nobody's ever asked me that before. Um, I, actually, I am. I really am. And I have been since I was a little kid. It's one of those things for me that that scares me uh, a lot. Um, I couldn't tell you why. And it's something that I have been working on for a long time. Is it not do want to be scared of it.
0: No, no, thank you for your honesty. I love that. Um, do you think that is because there's a future or a futuristic moment that you're placing more value on that you're looking for towards that is causing you to not want to miss out on it or I'm just always interested when people around death and that, death that, that conversation.
1: Yeah. I mean, sure. It's a little bit of FOMO, you know, I got, I, I fear missing out on things. I think, um, my, my personality set is one that is always wanting to grow and build and become a better version of myself. I am obsessed with self-development. I am obsessed with growth and I feel like death, stops that you know I want to keep growing I want to keep doing more things I want to keep being a better version of myself and I don't want that to that time to end yeah. so I think maybe that's why
0: I love your um your authenticity there you know it's it reminds me of like you can I love the fact that everyone wants to grow and you want to grow that much you can also look at it as, as I'm going to grow as much as I can until death t- death comes right yeah and, and just you know when I was we 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 chatted a lot, uh, over the weekend about death too, as well. And, you know, a yogi kind of walks around indifferent to death. And this is something I've just, this is my own, my own therapy talking now here, not necessarily a question, but it's like, you know, they, they, they're indifferent to when death comes. Mm-hmm. And they, they don't, of course, nobody wants it to happen or they don't look for it. It's not like that, but then you, you really live untethered right? Because you're able to actually live free. You still work on yourself as much. You still have passion. You find your why you have all the same things that you're doing. It's kind of that spirituality isn't about changing what you do. It's just the part of you that's doing it. And mm-hmm. so finding and making that peace with death gives you that ability to go out there and say, I don't know when it's going to come. It could come at any point in time because it will, right? We're all on the same, we're on a bus that we're yeah. born and we get on it and it's going to end for every single one of us. Yeah. And you kind of making that, making that peace with it allows you to uh, actually maybe work on yourself even more because you no longer are tethered to needing life to extend. And it gives you that openness to allow life to fully enter you. I don't know, Mm -hmm. just some thoughts that I had on that.
1: No, I like it. I, uh, I like the perspective of that. I like the, um, positivity of that statement really.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. What would you say, um, your here, number one or number or two things would be that if you could uh, give advice to anybody starting their path on spirituality, what would, that, what would that be for somebody? They hear this conversation. They love it. They, they had a little awakening. Where would people start if they asked you where to start in spirituality? Or even maybe better, let me give you a better question to answer. Uh, where would people start on being more human being than I've caught myself up in human doing too much? I realize I want to be more human being. Where would people start there?
1: Yeah. Uh, First, we need to slow down. First, we need to go within. We need to look into the uh, cobwebbed, filled insides that we have and start unpacking all of uh, the reasons why we overtook a human being with a human doing, why we were overworking, why we were behaving in the manners that we were behaving. Where did all that come from? What was the fear? We have to understand that root cause of the, of the weed that's growing and, and rip it out from the root. Uh, So it's, it's a long process. It's like fixing crooked teeth, you know, it's, it's going to happen. It just takes a while to do. So I would say look within and side note to that, don't expect changes to happen in in, uh, two days. We all, you know, we, we live in this world right now where you can fix almost anything in in a day, in a day, you know, you can take a pill, you can order something online, you can do whatever it needs. And so we think growth and development should be the same way that we just want to pop a pill and I'm different. You know, it doesn't work like that. It's slow. It's painful. It's hard. Um, so take the time to look within, get dirty, get, get meaty with it. You know, don't, uh, don't run away from the fear or this, the, 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 the scary bits, the scary bits is where the magic happens.
0: Um, so
1: I would, I would say first, we have to, we have to do that. We have to face our fears and look within. Um, and then, you know, spirituality for me is, is whatever it means to you. Just because I do yoga and meditate doesn't mean that you need to do yoga and meditate. Maybe something for you is completely different. Maybe it is those nature walks. Maybe it is, um, sitting with a friend and and just being silent. Maybe it's reading a book. I don't know. Um, but find out what's authentically yours. And in order to do that, we have to be self-aware and look within.
0: I love that. What is your meditation practice?
1: Uh, Well, my aunt is a teacher in transcendental meditation. And so I've done a lot of that uh, growing up and, and developing, but I can't say that that's the only thing that I do, which is, I'm not supposed to say that because TM (laughs) is supposed to be 100% TM, but occasionally if I'm in a, if I'm in a rough spot, if I, uh, if I feel a little overwhelmed, I'm not going to be able to get into that in the way that I want to. So sometimes I use the Calm app or uh, another app like that. And I hear um, whoever it might be, Deepak Chopra, talking me through it and walking me through the whole situation um, or having somebody, you know, having it be prescribed to me. So I do, I do a little bit of both.
0: Yeah. I love that answer. I mean, I'm i I've been a TM meditator for almost 15 years now, twice okay. a day. Yeah. And so I, I totally get it. But at the same time, it's, I think meditation in itself, whatever medi- is a technique that is used yeah. to get you outside of your Velcro-ness to your mind. And so whatever yeah. whatever works, it's kind of like, I'm like, whatever works type of guy, right? Whatever that is, it's yeah. walking, exercise, TM. I think TM is a great model. And I think you, you would yeah. agree that just gets, it, it it gives people a foundation. I always call it like the gateway drug into spirituality. Totally. It's kind of very easy for people to kind of get their hands into and do it. So.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Utter silence is hard for some people. Um, to to utter silence, that brain, uh, which is one of the reasons I like TM. I like having that mantra. I like having something that I can, um, that I can rely on. Something that
0: keeps me balanced. Yeah. Do you have a set time for people? A lot of times in TM, they go, well, I get the first one in the morning and then I have a tough time getting the second one in. Do you have like a a time that you've put in your calendar for that second one? When does that show up for you? It
1: usually shows up for me, um, right after I have dinner, as a matter of fact, sometimes right as I'm digesting, I like to go within a little bit and just be still. So it typically happens for me first thing in the morning and then right after dinner, if possible.
0: I love that. Love that. Well, Monique, thank you so much for being here today. It was wonderful. I know that our audience will love this conversation. So thank you so much for being today.
1: Thank you, and thank you for the insightful questions.
0: Thanks for hanging with us today. For those of you who recognize the power of a strategic partnership, you can get a short, impactful, and timely email from us every Thursday. That'll be your guide for how to achieve more together. The inner circles for founders leaders, entrepreneurs, and their chiefs of staff, executive assistants, and right-hand partners who want to learn how to cast a vision, navigate change, lead together, build impactful businesses, and just get shit done. If you're interested, go to founderinforcemultipliercom forward slash inner circle to sign up.